You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. We pray this message encourages you today. Thanks for listening. Well, it's so good to be with you this morning. Um, Today, we are wrapping up a series that we've been in for the past few weeks called What's the Point? We've been talking about this idea of finding purpose when life seems pointless. Finding purpose in those seemingly pointless seasons of life. And what we've been learning to recognize the past few weeks is that God is working out his purposes for our lives, even in the seemingly pointless seasons of life. The seasons that have a scratch in our head saying, what what was the point of that? What was the point of that relationship that didn't work out, that ended in heartbreak? What, what was the point of that marriage that ended in divorce? Divorce. What was the, the point of that job that I took that I was so excited about that ended up being a dead end? What was the point of that sickness that, that set me back in, in life? We're learning that God is working even in those seemingly pointless seasons of life. And so every week in this series, we've been looking at a story found in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel uh, about a man named Saul, who we know became the first king of Israel. But before he became king, he was sent out on a special mission to find his father's lost donkeys. And along this journey, it seemed pretty pointless at times. But we know that through this journey, he ends up meeting the prophet Samuel, who anoints him as the first king of Israel. And so the whole idea is that in this this seemingly pointless season of his life, God was ordering his steps to bring him to his purpose. So today, I want to start by asking you this question. Speaking of the journeys that we go on in life, how many of you have ever taken a wrong turn and you found yourself lost? Anybody willing enough just admit, come on, we can just be honest in church, even in the age of GPS, have you taken a wrong turn? Now, I know we have some younger people in the room who are like, what did you guys do before GPS? There was a time before GPS. I'll tell you what we did. We got lost. We missed turns. And we had to stop at the gas station and ask someone for directions. That was our GPS. (laughs) I missed a turn. How do I get to this place, right? And somebody had to give us directions. And maybe some of you, you can relate to this. How many hikers do we have in the room? Anybody? You like to hike? You like to get out? We got some beautiful trails in the Hudson Valley area. If you're a hiker like me, you've experienced this before. Sometimes you find that, that you drift from the trail. You recognize you took a wrong turn at some point in time, and, and you got off the trail. So you got to go back. What do you do? You got to retrace your steps, and you got to look for that trail marker to get back on the path. Every now and then you recognize that you, you took a wrong turn. I remember back when I was, I think I was a freshman in college. I was still living in my home state of Louisiana. And me and my little brother, John, and my best friend, Kyle, we were out hiking in some woods in my friend's property. And we got off the trail. And we realized that we were lost. And let me tell you something. If you've ever been lost in the woods before, it's scary. It's one thing to be lost in the city, but let me tell you something about being lost in the woods. Everything looks the same. (laughs) The trees all look the same. The rocks all look the same. And so, man, I begin to have this sense of panic. Like, I had this vision of us being stuck out in the woods for days, like sleeping out, you know, in the middle of the bugs and the snakes at night. I started thinking, who am I going to have to eat first, my brother or my best friend, Kyle? (laughs) And thankfully, we found our way back to the trail and we got out of the woods. Today, I want to talk to you about this idea. What do you do when you recognize that you've taken a wrong turn in your journey? Come on, what do you do when you have a moment where you open your eyes and you're like, how did I get here? 
How did I get to this place? I never thought I would be here in life. How, what, what have I done to get to this place in life? When you recognize, you open your eyes and you recognize that you've taken some wrong turns in your journey. So today, I want to fast forward a few chapters into into Saul's story. And I have a spoiler alert for you today. In case you didn't know, Saul's story does not have a happy ending. Saul's story does not end well. Uh, He ends up taking several wrong turns in his journey, and he disobeys the word of the Lord, and God ultimately rejects him as king. It's tragic. He starts out with so much purpose, and we see how God is ordering his steps and working behind the scenes of his life to make him the first king of Israel. So much promise over his life. But along his journey, he makes several missteps, takes several wrong turns, and ends up losing the kingdom. So back to our story for, for just a moment. We know that while Saul is, Saul is on this donkey mission to go find his, his father's lost donkeys, he ends up meeting the prophet Samuel. And in, in the next chapter, Samuel anoints Saul as king in, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, and he gives him the following instructions. Let's look at this, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8. Then go down to Gilgal ahead of me. I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. You must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. So very clear directions from the prophet Samuel. He anoints him as king, and he says, I want you to go to this town called Gilgal. I want you to wait for me there. We're going to make some burnt offerings. In a sense, we're going to officially confirm you as king of Israel. Go there, wait seven days until I give you further instructions instructions. And so everything is going great for Saul. He's just been anointed king. Um, Later on, he ends up meeting a band of prophets. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins to prophesy. There's this sense that God is giving him the power that he needs to become king. And then Samuel declares him as king to all the tribes of Israel. And then he ends up winning his first battle, which is a major deal for a king. One of the uh, Israelite towns is being sieged by the enemy, and he rallies the troops. And let's just put it this way his approval rating as king is like a hundred percent if there are any doubters before like everybody's like this dude is the man who was meant to be king everybody is excited about king saul things are going great for him and then we get to first samuel chapter 13 and the wheels start to fall off the bus so let me give you a little context here okay because we're going to look at first samuel 13 in just a moment the israelites arch enemy The Philistines have assembled a huge army, 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, which is like a huge army back then. And they're about to attack the Israelites. And the men uh, of the Israelite army, they are scared to death. They're hiding everywhere they can hide in caves and crags and cracks and rocks and thickets. They're, They're hiding from the enemy. And some of them begin to desert the army And so it's a really tense situation. We're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 13, and we're going to read a good chunk of scripture together, verses 7 through 14. It says, Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he he demanded, bring me the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, and Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. So he takes on the role of the prophet, and he makes the burnt offerings himself because Samuel hadn't showed up. Verse 10, just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? 
Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would, and the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't seen, I haven't asked for the Lord's help. I haven't yet asked for the Lord's help. Like, what are we going to do? So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. Okay? You didn't show up when I thought you were going to show up. I was under pressure. I freaked out. So I took matters into my own hands, and I offered the burnt offerings. Look at this, verse 13. How foolish, Samuel explained. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Hey, Saul, this is a bad look for you. You haven't even obeyed the very first thing I gave you to do. You're like, you're already not obeying the word of the Lord. This isn't looking good for you. What kind of kingdom are you going to have? In fact, God has rejected you as king. And so Saul finds himself in this pressure-filled, difficult situation and he makes the first of many wrong turns. What we see later on in, in, the, in the, the chapters that follow is this is a pattern for Saul. He begins to, to, to do his own thing. He disobeys the word of the Lord. And so in this situation, we know that he begins to, to make these burnt offerings, which he had no right to do. He wasn't authorized to do this. Now, we can pick on Saul but isn't this what often happens to us when we find ourselves in those difficult seasons of life? Those seasons of life where we're really feeling the pressure can result in us taking some wrong turns in the form of some really bad decisions. In fact, years ago, I came across a meme that is one of my favorite memes of all time. There's so much wisdom in it. We have a picture for you. Go ahead and put that image on the screen, guys. It says, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're stupid and you make bad decisions. Okay. Come on, somebody, somebody needs to take a picture of that. You need to remember that. That is one of the wisest memes I've ever seen floating around on social media. Oh, come on, that meme blesses me. Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> Sometimes the reason is we're stupid and we make bad decisions. Thank you, Pastor, for encouraging me today. Come on, you got to laugh. You got to have a little fun in church today. Today's my birthday. I'm going to say whatever I want today anyway. I'm just saying, I'm going to preach whatever I want to today anyway. <laughs> Let me give you a few reasons we take wrong turns. I hope you're taking some notes today. It's going to help somebody. Reasons we take wrong turns. Number one, we take wrong turns when we're physically, emotionally, or mentally exhausted. How many of you know that's true? See, Saul was feeling pressure. Here he was. He was a brand new king, and he found himself in a major battle, the kind of battle that could be decisive for the outcome of his kingdom, like life or death situation, right? I mean, we're talking about a seriously stressful situation. Can you imagine the stress that Saul was under. Let me tell you something, church. This is why it's so important not to make a big decision when you're stressed out, when you're exhaust, exhausted mentally, emotionally. If possible, sleep on it. Sleep on it. It takes some time. So, How many of you, you can, you can think about a time in your life when you said something, you did something that you regret because you were just stressed out and exhausted? We all know we've done it before, and so it's so important to recognize that those are times we need to slow down and rest and maybe sleep on a big decision. Number two, we take wrong turns when we care too much about other people's opinions. <laughs> One of the major factors that causes us to take wrong turns in life is when we care too much about the opinions of other people. Notice what Saul says in verse 11. Look at this. 
He's explaining things to the prophet Samuel. I saw my men scattering from me, and you, Samuel, you didn't arrive when you said you would. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. And the Philistines were at Michmash ready for battle. In other words, Saul basically says, I was afraid of losing my men. I was afraid of what they would think of me. I was afraid of their opinion of me. Was, were they all talking about me? Did they think their, their new king is weak and can't hold things together? And so I got worried about the opinions of, of my soldiers. In fact, if you you think I'm just picking on Saul. If you read his story a few chapters later, 1 Samuel chapter 15, there's another episode where he disobeys God and he blames it on the people again. He essentially says, I was, I was worried about what the people thought of me. So I did, I did my thing. How many times, church, have we made bad decisions because we were too concerned about what other people thought about us? I mean, for example, you're at work and, and uh, so, somebody's doing, your, maybe some people in your company are doing something that's less than ethical. And what happens? You just file suit and do, you just kind of do what everybody else is doing at work because you don't want to be the one who sticks out. You're worried about people's opinion of you and you end up making an unethical decision. Or maybe you gave into social pressure. Hello, even as adults, we can give into peer pressure. Maybe you were somewhere and you drank too much or you did too much of that thing or you did something that you wouldn't normally do on your own because you were worried about what other people were going to think of you and you gave in a social pressure. Maybe you spent money to impress people. Come on, you're keeping up with the Joneses. You, you spent your money in a foolish way to impress somebody because you felt the, the social pressure. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You got more concerned about someone else's opinion of you than God's opinion of you. Let me tell you something. Sometimes pleasing God, pleasing God often means disappointing people. Pleasing God often means disappointing other people. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget about what God thinks about you. You and me, as followers of Jesus Christ, we got to get determined that I am more concerned about what God thinks about me than anybody else. If I make the right decision and it's unpopular with other people and they have a negative opinion of me, that's okay because I'd rather be wrong with them and right with God. (laughs) And so, pleasing God often means disappointing people. we got to get dialed in, tuned in to the Word of God, to the opinion of God. It's found in the Word of God. You want to know what pleases Him. You want to know what delights Him. You want to know what gives, what what puts you in good standing with Him. Uh, we We know His grace, but there are His principles, His Word that shows us how to live. Here's the third thing. We, we take wrong turns when we take matters into our own hands. We take wrong turns when we take matters into our own hands. Look at what Saul says to Samuel in verse 12. He said, so I said, he's explaining things. So I said, this is what happened. You didn't show up. You know, when I thought you were going to show up, I was feeling the pressure. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings myself before you came. Saul says, Samuel, you you didn't show up when I expected you to, even though you showed up right as I was disobeying God, (laughs) right as I was taking matters into my own hands. So I got nervous, and I took matters into my own hands. And Saul's decision was foolish because he thought that he could strengthen Israel's chances against the Philistines by disregarding the word of the Lord. That was the problem. He actually thought he could make things better by disobeying the very word of the Lord. Let me just tell you something. If you don't hear anything else today, it never makes things better when you disobey the word of the Lord. 
and you take matters into your own hands. And this is the source of so many wrong turns for so many believers. This is the source of so many wrong turns. Like, like God, you didn't do what I thought you were going to do on my timetable, so I just thought I'd help you out. <laughs> you know? You, you, you didn't send me a godly husband or wife like I believed you would, so I just went ahead and jumped into a relationship with this person over here. Oh, don't get quiet on me this morning, church. Lord, Lord, you promised to, to bless my finances if I, if I tithed and I was generous, but I'm still over here paying bills and getting out of debt and working hard, so I'm going to go ahead and do whatever I want with my own money. I'm going to do my thing, and I'm going to add my blessing to it. Okay. Okay. Right? Lord, I know, you, I know in your word you said that you are my defender, and I'm supposed to turn the other cheek when somebody comes against me. But that person who gossiped about me, they seem to be doing just fine. I don't see any judgment over their life, so I'm going to gossip about them just like they gossiped about me. Like, God, you didn't do what I thought you would do, so I'm going to come alongside and take matters into my own hands and do my own thing. And here's the problem, church. You can't do things your way and expect God's blessing. So many times we want God's blessing on our thing. And God's like, no, no, I'm over here. This is what I'm blessing. This is what I've called you to do. This is what I've told you to do. This is what my spirit spoke to you. This is what I showed you in, in my word. You want my blessing, but you're over there. I'm over here. Get over here. Come into line with my word. So many times we get ahead of God. We do our own thing. We move out from under his blessing. And then we wonder why things aren't working out. Let me tell you, it never worked out well for anybody in the Bible. And it doesn't work out well for us. It doesn't work out well for us when we take matters into our own hands. And so Saul recognizes that he's taken some wrong turns, especially in this moment, that he's made some bad decisions. And how does he respond? Let me tell you, first of all, how not to respond when you recognize that you've taken a few wrong turns, okay? This is a good, following Saul's example is a good example of how not to respond when you recognize that you've taken a, a wrong turn because here's how Saul responds. First of all, he responds with excuses, okay? He blames other people. Well, I was worried about what the people were gonna think of me. And the Philistines were there and I was feeling the pressure and blah, blah, blah. He makes excuses. Then he lies um, actually, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, I would encourage you to go home and read, read through his story a little bit. He straight up lies. Another time, Samuel shows up to call him out for his disobedience, and he says, I did everything that God commanded me to do. And Samuel's like, I wouldn't be here right now chewing you out if you did everything that God commanded you to do. He lies. And then he, just, he makes justification. Okay? When he recognizes that he's taken a wrong turn, he makes excuses, he lies, and then Saul tries to justify the decisions that he's made. But here's the problem. None of these responses help Saul get back on the path that God had called him to. None of, these path, none of these decisions that he's made, the way he responds, he does recognize that he's made a wrong turn. He's not oblivious to the fact, but the way he responds doesn't help put him back on the path to his purpose. In fact, what we see is that Saul's heart continues to harden until he eventually turns away from God and he tries to cling to his power and his, and his position, but the blessing of God is left from his life. And we know that God has chosen someone else to become king. So let's look at that again. Verse Samuel uh, chapter 13, verse 14. Here's what Samuel says. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of the people. And we know that the man that Samuel was referring to is King David. 
David, who would become the greatest king in the history of Israel. So in First uh, Samuel chapter 16, Samuel comes along, along and he anoints David. And at this time, David is just a lowly shepherd boy, the youngest of all of his brothers. He's the opposite of Saul. Saul was Mr. Tall, dark and handsome, and had most likely to succeed written all over him. David was just a shepherd boy just out taking care of the shepherds, smelling like sheep, didn't have a glamorous life. And, and Samuel anoints him as the next prophet, and he kind of flies under the radar until he has this little episode that's just kind of slightly famous called David and Goliath, where he kills the giant Goliath, and then he becomes an overnight celebrity, and the people are singing about him in the streets, and he becomes famous, and Saul gets jealous of him and realizes that God is going to give the kingdom to this guy, and so he starts trying to kill David. And David spends several years as a fugitive running away from insecure King Saul, even though David's not trying to do anything, not trying to make anything happen, until eventually Saul is killed in battle against the Philistines, and David finally becomes king. So now we're going to go to David's story. Now, David does a lot of good things. David does a, a lot of, uh, of things. We know he's a passionate worshiper. He wrote so many of the Psalms, but he also made a lot of bad decisions if you know anything about David's story. In fact, there, in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, we read about one of his most famous wrong turns that he took. David made his share of wrong turns. And so I don't have time to go into the whole story, but in, in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 11 and 12, you can read about it yourself. David commits adultery with this woman named Bathsheba. She's this woman who was married, and of course he was married. One day, David was, was up at his palace looking out, and he saw this beautiful woman bathing, and King David liked what he saw. You know what I'm saying? He's like, I got to have her for myself. And he sends it. What the king wants, the king gets back then. I'm just saying. So he sends for Bathsheba, and, and he commits adultery with her, and then she turns up pregnant, and her husband Uriah is out in the, at battle, and he's a soldier, and King David brings him home so that he'll sleep with his wife, tries to make the whole thing look legit, but King Uriah is more, is more righteous than David. He'll have none of that because he feels bad about the other soldiers out in the fields. And so eventually, David sends him back into war, has him placed on the front lines. He gets killed. Killed. Then he takes Bathsheba into his home as his own wife. Like, dude, if you thought the Bible was boring, it's because you've never read it before. There's some R-rated stuff in there. It's a soap opera. You know what I'm saying? It's like Bridgerton on steroids. It's crazy. Yeah, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And so David sins against God, takes several wrong, wrong turns. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan confronts David over his sin. And he reminds David of everything that God did for him. He tells this parable. you got to read it for yourself. It's too good. I just don't have time for it today. We could do a whole series on this. Some of you are like, come on, Pastor Jimmy, do it. Bridgerton series with King David. Nathan confronts him over his sin. And he reminds him, like, remember everything that God has done for you? He took you from being a nobody, the youngest of your brothers. You weren't a valiant warrior. You were a shepherd boy, and God anointed you, and he raised you up, and he helped you be victorious against, against uh, Goliath and all these things. And, and he's anointed you the next king, and he, and he gave you the, the kingdom. And then he tells David that because of his sin, there's going to be judgment on his house, that his family is going to experience calamity and violence because of the violence that he perpetrated against Uriah and his terrible sin. And here's how David responds. I want you to notice David's response. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 
No excuses, no lies, no justifications. Just he simply owns up and confesses his sin. And although David would indeed experience the consequences of his sin, he would go on to, to, to experience this judgment in his family. There was turmoil later on. One of his own sons tried to overthrow him. Certainly there's judgment that comes because of the consequences of his action. But here's the thing. God's spirit never left him. God's spirit never departed him like it left King Saul. Instead of turning away from God, David turned his heart to, toward God. And the blessing of God remained in his life. He's called a man after God's own heart. Come on, be encouraged today. Even if you sin and you mess up, you can still be described as someone after God's own heart. If you will turn your heart toward him. If you'll own up to it. Come on, we want to be like David. Not, none of us wants to end up where King Saul ended up in our journey. And so back to our question, what do you do when you recognize that you've taken a wrong turn in your journey? Well, out of this experience, David writes one of the most beautiful, powerful psalms in all the Bible, Psalm 51. It's one of my favorite psalms. I read it, I read it on a regular basis as a prayer of my own heart. And so there's a beautiful pattern here that we can learn from how to respond in those seasons of life when we recognize we've drifted. We've made some bad decisions. We've made some decisions that, were, that represent God's less than God's best for us. We haven't used wisdom. We got ahead of ourselves, made a sinful decision. What do we do? We want to follow the pattern of King David. We don't want to be a Saul. We don't want our hearts to be hardened. We don't want to justify, make excuses, tell lies, and, and even convince ourselves. No, here's what we want to do. Number one, we've got to confess it. We've got to confess it. What does that mean? It means to acknowledge it, to own it. Look at this, Psalm 51, verse 3 through 4. Here's what David said. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. No excuses. No, but, but, but here's what happened. I was feeling the pressure. But these people came into my life. But there was this, this woman that I saw. You know, when I read this, I think about... That Jimmy Buffett song, some people say, there's a woman to blame, but I know, dun, 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 it's my own dang fault. That's what David says, right? I know it's my fault. I can't blame anybody. It's not Bathsheba's fault. It's not Uriah's fault. Like, I, I have to confess my sin before you. It's my fault. I've sinned against you, God. Number two, what do we do when we recognize we've made a wrong turn? Ask God for his forgiveness. We ask God for his forgiveness. Look at this, Psalm 51, verse 1 through 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Look at verse 2. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Church, I have good news for you. The promise of Scripture, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The enemy wants to come along and remind you of your sin, throw your sin in your face, condemn you so that you feel like you can't go to God. Let me tell you something in those moments when you feel like you can't even go to God to admit what you've done. You don't go to God on the basis of who you are. The good news is you go on the basis of who he is. You go on the basis of his mercy, his grace, his love, his goodness, and you ask for his forgiveness. Number three, what do you do? When you recognize you've made a wrong turn, you turn back. You turn back. We don't want to just confess. We don't want to just get stuck in a pattern of, of, of forgiveness over and over again, going to Jesus for professional sin management services. We want to turn back. 
Look at this, Psalm 51, verse 10 through 12. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. God, do anything but take your presence away from me. I'm turning back to you, God. I'm turning back to your ways. I'm turning back to your voice. I'm turning back to your spirit. Church, we gotta have a sense. It's not enough to just be forgiven. God, I can't live without your presence in my life. Can I live without you? All this week as I've been, I've been praying over this message and so much brokenness in this world, there's just a sense in my life, God, I cannot do this without you. I don't want to live without you. I don't want to be a parent in this world without you. I don't want to be a husband in this world without you. I don't want to try to guide this church and, and shepherd people and lead people without your presence in my life. And so to turn back, to repent, the biblical idea of repentance is to, the Hebrew word is to teshuva. It's, it's, a, it's a word picture. It's to turn back. When we recognize we've drifted, when we recognize we, we got off the trail, we took some wrong turns. We begin to acknowledge it. We begin to see it. We confess it. We don't explain it away. We don't, we don't point fingers at other people. We own up to it. And then we go to God by his grace and his mercy. We ask him to forgive us. And we turn back. We turn back. We course correct. We get back. We get back on the right path. And so maybe today, church, you recognize that you've taken some wrong turns. Maybe the Holy Spirit's showing you some some things. Maybe some subtle things. Maybe some attitudes you've been harboring. Maybe some decisions you made that were influenced by the opinions of other people, people who aren't even believers. Let me tell you something. If you want to get Everybody else's results, do what everybody else is doing. I don't know about you. I don't like the results that I'm seeing around me in the world today. I'm, I'm going to choose to do it God's way. Maybe you recognize you made some decisions when you were tired, when you were stressed. You said some things that you wish you, you could change. Maybe there's some things that are already forgiven, but they come back to you quite often. You think about some of those major wrong turns you took in your own life. Those chapters that you wish you could go back and change. We all think about them so often. We have some regrets. Can I just leave you with some encouragement? Every now and then, I make a wrong turn, even with GPS. Every now and then, even in G- with GPS, I'll be driving somewhere, and, and I make a wrong turn. I misunderstand the GPS, whatever, and I take a wrong turn. What happens? Does the GPS give up on me when I make a wrong turn? Does the GPS just shut down and melt down when I make a wrong turn? No, no, no. What happens? the GPS begins to reroute you, right? The little lady starts getting you back on track and telling you exactly what to do. Church, I've got good news for you today. God has a way of rerouting our lives. When you take a wrong turn, he'll get you back on on the path. Pastor Jeremy, what if I made a wrong turn? What if I made some wrong decisions? What if I drifted? What if if there's a terrible mistake I made? I wish I could go back and change it. Let me encourage you. God is still working. God is able to redeem our wrong turns. And God has a way of bringing good things out of wrong turns. God has a way of even bringing good things out of, out of wrong turns. Let me just give you a quick example. You think about this disastrous episode in, in David's life. Well, guess what? He takes Bathsheba as his wife. He takes her as his wife, and it's the least he could do for her after killing his husband, killing her husband. I mean, guess who's born to Bathsheba in David? King Solomon, who would go on to be this great wise king, who would give us so many of the Proverbs and wisdom literature 
in the Old Testament who would go on to expand the kingdom like never before to an unprecedented time of prosperity. Never was there ever a time of prosperity, even under King David like there was under Solomon. And Solomon builds the temple of God. Come on, God has a way of bringing good things out of even wrong turns. He redeems it. And that's what he does for for our lives. He's a redemptive God. It's simply our job to respond to the GPS of the Holy Spirit who shows us when we've taken a wrong turn and get us back on track. I want to encourage you today, don't believe the lie of the enemy. One wrong turn doesn't have to keep you from the destination that God has for you. Now, we want to be tuned in. We want to make a lot less wrong turns, but can I encourage you today? Because I think sometimes we feel the weight of this. I think sometimes we feel so much guilt and condemnation. One wrong turn doesn't have to keep you from the destination that God has for you. It's time to get back on track. Come on, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He's a redemptive God. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of love. He's a God who knows how to whisper to your heart. If you'll stay sensitive to his word, he will reroute you and get you back on the path to your purpose. Amen. Come on, how many of you want that today? Would you stand with me this morning? Just stand up all over this place today. Just stand up with me this morning. Just lift your heart to heaven. Maybe you want to lift your hands if you're comfortable doing that today. And we're going to ask God for his help today. We're going to open our hearts to him and He's speaking to some of us today. He's showing us some decisions. The Holy Spirit is showing us some, even some wrong turns we've made. And he's not condemning you today, but he's drawing you to the Father through his son, Jesus, by his grace to get back on the path that he has for you today. And so can we follow this pattern today? Even as we've read what what King David showed us in the Psalm, can we follow this pattern today? Father, today we're coming to you and we're confessing. We're confessing, God, our our wrong decisions. We're confessing the wrong turns that we've taken today. We're not going to make excuses, God. We're going to own up today and stop pointing fingers at other people, stop trying to justify things. And Lord, today we're coming asking for your forgiveness, but thankful for your grace that you're faithful and you're just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we thank you that your grace is made new to us today. Your mercies are made new every morning. We receive them today. And Father, today we turn back to you. We turn back to you. It's not enough to just keep drifting down that road Lord, today it's not just about getting rid of the guilt, but it's about getting back on the path that you would have for us, turning back to you. God, we want to hear your voice. God, we want your spirit in our lives. God, we have this sense today that we cannot live without you, God, that we need you in our lives. And so we turn back to you today, and we pray the prayer of King David, Psalm 51, verse 10 through 12. If you can put that on the screen for me, let's pray this together. Let's make this our prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Come on, pray it with me out loud. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Father, that's our prayer today, that you would put a new heart on the inside of us, God. Father, a new heart that desires the things that you have for us. A heart that wants the things that you want for us. God, I thank you that we're new creations in Christ Jesus, never the same. God, we're not going to just play defense, but Lord, you're going to change our hearts. You're making us into your children, into your sons, into your daughters, and you're changing our hearts so that we can be your people and we can walk the path that you have for us. Father, I pray you do it 
in the life of every person in this place. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org or follow us on social media.